Welcome to Startup Hacks, a We Global Studios podcast. We explore the stories and secret strategies that women entrepreneurs use to save time and money when bootstrapping and building their businesses. I'm your host, Fernanda Carapina, and today I'm very excited to welcome Shung Saavedra. Shung is a personal finance influencer who reached, who reached the ability to be work optional at 31 by spending less than what she earns, by increasing her income and investing her savings in the stock market. She has used many life hacks along the way to work efficiently and live life sustainably. She resides with her husband, son, and two cats in the heart of New York City. Welcome, Shung. Thank you, Fernanda. I'm so excited to be here. Well, I'm so excited for the opportunity to interview you and share your story with our audience because it's really an incredible story and really inspiring and I think one that a lot of people will get a lot out of. So let's just jump right in. So for starters, I was wondering if you wouldn't mind giving uh, our listeners some background about your story, where you grew up, and um your mindset early on and how it led to ultimately what you've created. Sure thing. I was born in China and I actually grew up in my childhood in various countries, including Switzerland, the Netherlands, before landing in Boston, Massachusetts when I was 10 years old and basically grew up in Boston for the rest of my life. I attended Harvard undergrad and then I got my MBA at University of Chicago Booth School of Business very lucky to have had my higher education paid for uh, via a combination of um, my parents' support as well as scholarships. Then over time, um, I was able to enter the management consulting industry, which I'm still a part of today, but I've done other things in between. Got a high income, learned to live on less than I made, invest that difference over time, and the investment of the savings um, and an incredible run in the stock market over the last 10 plus years has allowed me to reach the ability to say, hey, I'm work optional at age 31, which was four years ago. I'm 35 now. And the key mindset that really got me through it was one of gratitude, one of uh, the, key word, the key phrase called, I get to which is something that I say every morning these days to realize how much I have to be thankful for no matter what happens in life. Wow. Okay. So I want to get back to that. I get to, which I want to learn more about, but let's back up a little bit just to round out your story. So when you finished uh, going to school at Harvard and at university of Chicago, you entered the workforce. What were you doing at that time? Yep. Between Harvard and Chicago, I did uh, management consulting, my first time at it. Bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, straight out of school, didn't really know what I was doing, but I was told that this is a great uh, career to start off in. And it, it is, it is great. And on the side, I also ran my own wedding photography business. So by day, I was doing management consulting. By night, I was getting my feet wet in entrepreneurship and being a photographer on nights and weekends. Then I went to business school, completely burned out, by the way. I mean, I was working 80, 90 hour weeks, so I was very burned out at this point. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to switch to entrepreneurship and technology because tech was booming out on the West Coast. So after business school, I entered an e-commerce company on the West Coast. 
uh, it was well-funded. It had just been acquired uh, by a larger company. So it was a pretty stable place. Then I got engaged. Um, I met my <laughs> husband at business school. He's wonderful, but he wanted to be in New York City. And I just arrived in San Francisco. I was like, oh my goodness, you're killing me. Um, but I decided I would move because love is worth it. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> when I moved to New York, I didn't know anyone in the startup space. And, and so I relied on my consulting background and I got a job um, doing corporate strategy for Victoria's Secret in New York City. So very well-known company, um, very hard to get job. And after a couple of years, decided I want something that was a little bit more exciting, a little bit faster growing. And funny enough, went back to the original company that I went into straight out of college. And that's where I still am today. Oh, really? I yep. see. Yeah. So you're still doing um, consulting work for that original company. I am. But recently, um, I was able to become part-time. I actually began part-time hours February of 2021, both to balance the additional demands on me as a working mother, but also because I get to, because my financial freedom has allowed me to no longer worry about getting a full-time paycheck. That's fantastic. Okay, so let's move on. So now you were at Victoria's Secret, you left, you went back to the consulting company. And then at that point, when did it really start to gel for you that you wanted to become a personal finance entrepreneur or that you thought you were onto something that you wanted to market and teach and, and help others with? Yeah, very good question, because the journey to becoming work optional began very early in life. It began with my first paycheck and really, really intense years, I would say, are from 2012 to 2016. Those were the years I really pulled back on my spending. I began writing about it in 2016 and I began speaking about it in 2017. I got invited to a couple of small speaking events here and there. And I would say 2018 was really when I entered Instagram, not knowing what the heck I was doing, but just saying, hey, it's got a big audience and I wanted to share what I learned with other people. And it began resonating and that's sort of when it started taking off. So um, did the, did the um, savings piece drive you first? I want you to tell the story about your dad and, and going to school that you shared with me because I thought that was really kind of illuminating and, and I think so much part of your story. Mm -hmm. Yeah, my father, um, he, he scrimped and saved and invested in order to afford school for me. And he didn't even start early. He really only began seriously investing around age 40. And yet he, he was able to have this incredible path of wealth building that afforded very expensive schools for me. And he's, you know, a very rich multimillionaire today. And that was just really inspiring for me to see that it, it doesn't take that much time. And that led to me deciding at a very young age that I, I, I too would like to get rich and would like to, you know, build my own path and, and become wealthy using some of the stuff that I learned from my father. So, so now share with us a little bit about your company and, and what you're doing with your um, personal finance kind of guidance and, and kind of your whole entrepreneur work in this space. Yeah, I would say it was an accidental entrepreneur 
before I was very intentional when I began my wedding photography business. I was like, this is a side hustle. This is something profitable. I'm here to make money from it. When I began writing on Instagram, it was more out of a love of a passion, really, for teaching others financial literacy. And that's still what's driving me today. In fact, even though I do make money from Save My Sense, the goal is to give it all away, um, either now or by the time that I die, to philanthropic um, philanthropic causes. And the, the process was not easy because here I was sitting on top of, you know, tens of thousands of followers and I could monetize and I see so many other influencers doing so and I was really resistant against it but something clicked in my head I realized there are other people out there who do this for a living and if I gave everything away for free I was not being fair especially to fellow female underrepresented entrepreneurs who also want to make a living and that's when I made the switch to saying I'm going to give away really great content but the most advanced stuff I do charge for in order to lift up this entire industry. And that's how I started creating courses um, that are uh, sold as part of my platform today. Got it. And your platform is called savemysense.com, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, so now let's dig into, let's dig into the platform itself. So people who come to your platform can learn, I mean, tell us what they learn. They learn what I call personal finance soup to nuts with a focus on saving a retirement. So I don't focus as much on budgeting, on cutting back expenses. I do share about that, but the bulk of my focus is what the heck is a 401k and how is that different from an IRA, right? When people first get exposed to retirement and they learn about all these different accounts, it's overwhelming just how complex they are all the different rules. And my goal is to break it down, make it really easy, really relatable, and give people the confidence to take that one next step to get started with saving for retirement. Because it's better to start now than to never get started at all. And do you you help people with uh, investment decisions or no? As I am currently not a certified financial advisor, I do not give uh, individual investing advice, but I do give people a lot of resources as to where they can go to get that advice or which companies to work with um, if they want to go the robo-advisor route. Got it. And do you find that the financial literacy um, industry in general um, has had a kind of resurgence lately and do you think that there's kind of um, some changes in that industry i personally have heard so many people who and women in particular who seem to be in that space now and are really passionate about it and feel that women need to kind of wake up and and really harness the power of financial literacy absolutely it's been very exciting to watch in the last few years so many incredibly talented women enter the space because for a long time, personal finance and financial services, if you think about the whole industry of mortgages and, and investments, were sold to men because people believed erroneously that only men made financial decisions in the household, which is so not true. And secondly, I think for many, many years, personal finance was spoken about from just a pure numbers-based viewpoint. It's all about the numbers, but actually, 
there's a lot of psychology involved in personal finance. There's a lot of mental health that is tied to personal finance. And what I'm seeing now, and what I also personally promote with my phrase, this phrase, I get to, is that it is also about your mindset, your mental health, and how you're feeling, and, and where you came from, and your culture, and all of those things need to be acknowledged as part of your personal finance journey. And so, so talk to us now about I get to. What does I get to mean? Yep. I get to is a practice of gratitude where every morning when you wake up and you say some things like, ugh, I have to get up early or I have to go to work or man, I have to clean up this kitchen that I forgot to you know, wash dishes last night. And instead you say, I get to, I get to wake up early because I get to go to work or I get to have a kitchen that nourishes me and I get to have dirty dishes to wash because that meant I had food last night. And these very, very simple mindset shifts of taking something that felt like a burden and turning it into a joy means that we can recognize and be grateful for what we already have today. This concept is very important in personal finance because we live in a very visual and uh, and a world where, where comparison is the game. It's so easy to look at the social media feeds of other people and say, wow, they have that nice house, that nice car, those nice clothes. Why can't I have that? Why am I not happy? And we get really down on ourselves. Or say a LinkedIn feed and people are talking about where they got published or what speaking events they're being featured in. And you say, why not me? And instead, this, this allows us to tune out the noise of what other people are doing, the highlights of other people, and allow us to highlight the wonderful privileges that we already have today. Because if we can start from a grateful, happy, and joyful position, then we welcome in abundance. And that allows us to grow and increase wealth in our own lives. Wow, that's pretty awesome. I love that. Thank you for sharing that. And is that something that you develop personally or is that part of your culture and something you grew up with? Neither. I would like to give credit to therapy, actually. Um, mm. I actually had two years of cognitive behavioral therapy um, starting in 2013. So this is in the middle of my very intense frugal period. That frugal period unearthed a lot of tension from my childhood. And I went to therapy to resolve that. And as part of that, my therapist taught me to, to learn to see the beauty in things. Now, the phrase I get to has been floating around the internet for a long time. It was just that I, I realized those two things clicked together for me. So when I used to be really unhappy that I couldn't go out to the latest and greatest restaurant in New York because I'm being really you know, mindful of my spending, Instead, I say, wait, I get to call up a friend and see how they're doing. Maybe I get to do a walk around Central Park with them, or maybe I get to take, have a bagel breakfast with them. And that still meets the core psychological need, the emotional need that I have without spending $50 on a dinner. And that's what allowed me to stick with the game of being frugal for so long, which led to my ability to invest to becoming work optional. 
So when you when you talk about work optional, just for our listeners, what does work optional mean for you? Like some people may think, for example, for me to be work optional, I need to have five million dollars in the bank or I need to have five hundred thousand dollars in the bank or whatever it may be for you. When you sat down and you said, I want to be work optional, how did you map that out for yourself? Yep. At that time, when my husband and I did the calculations, we saw work optional as us not living in New York City. It would be a you know moderately priced location in the U.S., um, and that about four percent of our net worth equals that annual expense. Now, um, some of people say maybe it's from stocks. Some people say it's work optional from real estate investing. For for me, I use the commonly used. Uh, rule of thumb 4%, but also we watch how much our investments grow every year. So we also have a good sense of how much it gains each year. But either way, either the 4% or the growth in our investments each year is enough to cover our living expenses. That's what work optional meant for us. Okay. So just to, so just to repeat that, if you're making let's say $100,000 a year in your investments, then the goal is to use that to live off for the entire year. Yeah, yeah. So you're, either your investments are uh, are returning $100,000, that could be stocks or it could be the cash flow from your uh, real estate investments, mm-hmm. or uh, the more easy uh, calculation is 4% of your total net worth is mm-hmm. equal to how much you're spending on life each year. So what happens if you're you're listening to this and you're like, okay, well, I'm living in Chicago and it's really expensive and my kids are in school and I've got this, so I can't do that. That's just too aggressive for me. Is there, do you advise people to kind of take baby steps in that direction until they're at a place where they can go full in? Yeah, I mean, I'm doing the same exact thing. I'm still working full-time. Part of it is because even though we became work optional, there are members in our family who need help. Um, there are members in our family who don't have a retirement saved. And my husband and I decided we would help them. So actually much of what we're currently accumulating would is being earmarked uh, to go help them. But I decided to make it a hybrid situation. I still have a high paying job. I'm paring back the hours by being part-time. I still save, I still invest. That will go to help people. And that is a happy medium for me. As a mom, I completely understand that once you got more mouths to feed, it just gets a little bit harder. And I think for me, um, it's work optional because I'm not pushing so hard for early retirement, which is what a lot of the popular bloggers in this space write about. They're like, we can't wait for the day that we quit our hated job. Because some of us actually like working. Like some of us actually do derive you know, intellectual pleasure from from having something to work on each day, and that's me. So I don't see myself forever retiring. I, I do I do see more of a hybrid approach in that the pressure to constantly make that paycheck is gone, and that's amazing for me. And how did you become educated around investing? Because for a lot of women, that's the other piece, which is I don't even know where to start. <laughs> Right? Yeah. Or 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 you're so afraid of making a mistake and then losing money and then you know all the shame that comes with that. Yeah, I I would say the the mindset that I adopted as as a young child is not being afraid of failure. Um, partially because I, I you know I was an entrepreneur since very young, 
that also applied to investing. I started literally just Googling things I didn't know. And I was also lucky in that as part of my uh, main hustle, my consulting work, I also worked on um, mergers and acquisitions. So that kind of opened me to the world of uh, more professional investing in the language that they use, although I don't invest in individual companies today. And I also owe it to great books like um, uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki, The Millionaire Next Door is another great book that talks about the philosophy of a slow path to investment and also Get Rich Slowly is another blog that I read. And I just read. I just said, I'm going to learn a little bit each day. I'm not going to be scared of failure and and I'm just going to keep going. And that was that was the attitude that I think really helped the most. Wow. All right. So you heard it here. Rich Dad, Poor Dad, Millionaire Next Door. And what was the third book? Uh, the third is a blog called Get Rich Slowly. Get Rich Slowly. Okay, great. All right, so now let's talk about the hacks that that you um, use and have used, still use, because I think they're really interesting. And, and I'd love for you to start with the clothing. Yes, <laughs> I have a capsule wardrobe in that I intentionally limit the number of clothes that I have to reduce the decision fatigue that comes with getting dressed each morning. So I have about 30 pieces of clothing for my professional wardrobe. They do change a little bit over the seasons, but it's about 30. And I've done this since I would say about eight years ago. And uh, I see it as a way to not only look and feel fabulous, but also not spend too much time on buying my clothing. And would you would you say it's kind of is it the slacks and the t-shirt? I mean, like, what is that thirty-piece clothing for you? Yeah, it doesn't count your underwear. Underwear is unlimited, <laughs> and it doesn't count your yoga pants. Yoga pants are also unlimited. It really is the slacks, the uh, the shift dresses, the blazers, the work shirts. And I also I love quality. I do like my you know designer labels, and I like to buy them. Uh, I like to buy them from consignment, uh, from thrift stores. And I think that also helps with being sustainable in our clothing practices. And is this something you've been doing now? It sounds like for a long time. It started when I had to move a ton during my business school years. And I, I would, just got too sick of packing and repacking my clothing each time. And that's when I began paring down to just my favorites. And it kind of became a habit after that. Okay, so... We need to clean out the closets, number one, <laughs> right? <laughs> but I but I do agree. I think actually, I don't know if our listeners would agree, but one of the liberating things about the COVID experience for me personally has been in the morning, not having to spend so much time thinking about what I'm going to wear. And, and I do personally feel that same kind of liberation where you can just throw on basically a pair of jeans or a pair of sweats and you're kind of good to go. It's amazing. It's amazing how much time you save when you don't have to think about it. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I know that you also have taken this same kind of capsule wardrobe um, idea to your food preparation as well. Yep. I call it my modular food system, where instead of trying to come up with a million recipes to feed my family, I think of it as three parts, a starch or carb, a protein of some sort, and a veggie of some sort. And as long as I prep food in each of those categories and they more or less 
mix or match. I mean, not all the time, but most of the time they mix or match. I don't worry about trying to cook a fancy recipe. And that allows me to keep the weekday foods very simple. And then on the weekends, we do dine out or right now we, you know, do takeout um, to make, mix it up and make it a little bit fancier. And, and, and this other point that you raised, which was around popular media, can you talk a little bit about why um, you try to avoid popular media? I actually only dedicate a few minutes a day reading the headline news. I, I have a separate feed where I only read news that's relevant to my industry and my work. And I think it's because it's very easy to really spiral mentally when it comes to the news. And news is often very negative. And so I keep the popular media exposure to a minimum, just what I need to know to, to stay informed. But I don't want it to take up too much of my mind share because it's not important for me to do that. And I don't like to welcome that kind of negativity um, into my mind. And so this is one way to keep my emotions compartmentalized so that I can be present for my family and for my career. Well, that's fabulous. I, um, I love these hacks. I think they're fabulous and they're real lifestyle hacks. And I think we could all benefit from adopting all of them, quite frankly. Um, we are almost out of time and I wanted to give you one last opportunity if there was one um, one piece of advice that you would give to female founders out there who are looking uh, for ways to save time, money, or gain a competitive edge, is there any one special nugget you'd want to throw out? Lean on your strengths. Uh, some of these hacks, these ideas, the things that I do comes from stuff that I know well, stuff that I'm passionate about. You know, lean hard on your strengths. That's where you're going to shine. And your weaknesses, either have other people help you or farm them out and, and deprioritize them so they don't take up too much of your mind. Thank you. That's fabulous. Um, well, thank you so much, Shung, for being on the show. And we so appreciate you taking the time to share your special strategies to save time and money within your own business and, and also within your life. If listeners would like to learn a little bit more about you and your company, where could they reach you? Absolutely. I hang out every day on Instagram the most, uh, save my sense, all one word on Instagram. And I'm also online at savemysense.com. And I look forward to hearing from you. Message me. I try to reply to everyone if I can. Terrific. Thank you so much. Well, thank you again and tune in next week for more Startup Hacks. We've got another great show you won't want to miss on the secret female founder strategies that will save you time and money when building your business. This podcast is brought to you by We Global Studios, the first startup innovation studio and digital do-it-yourself startup platform for women entrepreneurs around the world. For more information on our guests, this podcast, and many other female founder programs, please visit weglobalstudios.com. I'm your host, Fernanda Carapina, and we will see you next week.